season's greetings, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Clothe Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. My name is Chris Small. Today I am wearing a Krusty the Clown t-shirt that is advertising Krusty Burgers, a fictional burger joint with over a dozen sold, and a Temple Brewing Hat, which is a local brewery in my area, that has since lowered the alcohol percentage on one of my favorite beers because, and I quote, people were making too many bad decisions. Is it below 4%? Because I think 4 is a decent... It was 7.5%, so okay, admittedly yeah, they probably should have. But. There's 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 some room for maneuvering when you got a 7%. I also think you were maybe wearing that t-shirt in a very recent episode. Yeah, I you caught me on the cusp of a laundry day. Recording and laundry days usually go hand in hand in our household here. Hey man, it's a classic t-shirt. I think it's a good choice. And I am Ephraim Ellis. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. In this episode, I am wearing a uh, black t-shirt with a silhouette of Big foot on it and the phrase hide and seek world champion i think that's pretty cool and blue jeans oh and socks with kittens playing with red balls of yarn and the cats kind of look like my old cat who passed away so they're my favorite gurney socks oh that is yeah. adorable that is sentimental yeah. and i also want to know that the people that have spotted book bigfoot does that mean that they are now it like if he is the hide and seek world champion yeah, uh, has he had to relinquish his title? But I guess no one's able to to dispute that. So I feel like he's still like you know. Is it like in keeping with the the seasonal nature of this episode? Is it like the rules from the Santa Claus that once you spot Bigfoot, you then become Bigfoot? Man, you go back, and the Santa Claus is a very very dark film. Actually, this man did not want to do this job. I have never seen any of the sequels, but the first one I think is a classic, and I think the the body horror element of it of him slowly turning into a large bearded old man is kind of delightful and creepy. It's like if David Cronenberg directed a holiday film. Exactly! And speaking of holiday classics, today we are talking about Bare Naked for the Holidays, the holiday album that was put out by the Bare Naked Ladies on October 5th, 2004. The best performing single on the Billboard Holiday Singles charts for 2004 was Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee. The one from, like, the 1950s? That is correct. It came back. Right. It came back, baby. That's kind of the, one of the weird things about holiday music. There's like staying power and classics that return to the charts. Yes. However, the best-selling holiday album in the U.S., at least in 2004, was not a classic. Well, maybe it was a new classic that time. Merry Christmas with Love by Clay Aiken. Remember Clay Aiken? Vaguely. Only vaguely. Was he uh, Was he one of them American Idols? He was one of them runner-ups for American Idols. Clay Aiken was the runner-up. Ruben Studdard was the winner that year. I cannot believe that I remember that. I did not have to look that up for some reason. That is way back in the confines of my memory. Congratulations on that, but in Clay Aiken's defense, I think he's outlasted that other person, so I think in the long run, he, he kind of won that season in that case. Ruben Studdard, if you're listening to this podcast, and I can only assume that you are, we are waiting for your holiday album to drop. Prove us wrong. This this album performance was certified gold in Canada, and while it didn't make it to the Billboard charts, it did actually peak at 64 on the regular Billboard 200 album charts in the US. And that's pretty cool, obviously. It wasn't around the time that the Billboard holiday album charts and singles charts usually come in. Doing my research, it looks like it's usually around late November that they start tracking things at that point. But when you do think about the timeline that this was released, it was right after E to E, that is everything to everyone. And that album did quite well in the States. So this is still around the time that I think the Bare Naked Ladies did have a lot of chart power. You go from Stunt to Maroon, E to E. So, I mean, they still are quite big now, but at the same time, like they were charting pretty consistently around this era. And if I'm not mistaken, were I don't think there were any actual like single singles released from the holiday record. It was just that it was Bare Naked for the Holidays, it was an album, it came out. And that was pretty much it. And that was pretty much it. I think Elf's Lament got a, some airplay on like the CBC, but like there was no official official singles, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct, yeah. I'm pretty sure that most of this was, they. it, it had some airplay, of course, but a lot of that is the way that like any holiday song would get airplay at that point. Yeah. And talking about how they were still kind of at a bit of the crest of their peak in that kind of like early 2000s era, I think that releasing a holiday album during that period of your career is an amazing choice, and it's a choice made by a lot of other big bands as well. One of my favorite other pop rock Christmas singles is the the Darkness Christmas single from the early 2000s, which was a single called Christmas Time, Don't Let the Bells End, which was the first track they released after their debut album because they said ah screw it we're like 
the biggest people in the world. Of course we're gonna go straight to the holiday single. Who cares about putting out the second record? We're jumping straight to the hokey stuff. I thought it might have been called I Believe in a Guy Called Santa, but that's a much better track name. Stephen Page actually, uh, getting into the talking points of, of this album, didn't want to release it apparently. He didn't like the idea. Cracks starting to form in the band? I don't know. Because this really was only a year after E to E, and I think that just exactly like you said, at this time in their career, maybe he thought it wasn't the best idea. But I mean, this really does have staying power in a big way. This has just been re-released on vinyl in 2022, and it's sold quite well. And not only that, I think in their day-to-day -day working lives, this album has had a lot, has, has like created a lot of work for the band as well, because they've done like holiday residencies at like Massey Hall in the mid-2000s that I went to a, a bunch of shows at. Right now they're on another hometown holidays, Christmas concerts tour. They've been doing stuff like this like most years since this album came out. So it's created a lot of like live performance opportunities for them. So it's, yeah, it's really become almost like kind of a, bit of a tradition for me. I'm kind of sad that I'm not making it out to any of the Toronto dates for the current vinyl re-release tour that they're doing right now. So this album was recorded at Stephen Page's studio, which was called Fresh Baked Woods. I'm just throwing that out there because it's, it's, it's an okay name. And it was the first record released on BNL's own Desperation label. So E to E was the first album that they did independently. Their Desperation label is redistributed through Warner Brothers, but this was the first album on that, which is great. Cool. And they stayed independent until All in Good Time? Yes, I believe I so. so. Yeah. Yeah. This album was the first album to not feature a naked track, much to uh, Ephraim's satisfaction. Great! That age-old tradition of them performing one track for all of their previous albums, completely in the nude. I'm going to guess because this was, you know, October, November in Toronto, and it would have been very cold out. I feel way more comfortable now. But then again, some of these songs are only like 45 seconds, so if it was a naked track, at least they would have gotten it over with very quickly. What if it was one of the weird elevator music tracks and the only person that was naked was Kevin? I don't understand why I have to be naked. I'm not even playing anything. Just awkwardly standing behind the synthesizers being, Kevin, it's a tradition. You gotta do it. This album also featured collaborations with Sarah McLaughlin on God Rest You Merry Gentlemen and We Three Kings. That is, I'm saying, that is actually one single track. It's a sweet holiday mashup. It was a re-release that they did in 1996, and on the original song Elf's Lament, there was some unknown crooner by the name of Michael Bubbly. You heard of this guy? I have heard of him. The first thing that I thought when I remembered that Michael Bublé was on this album, and then also when I when I saw that, wait, this was released in 2004, was like, was Michael Bublé 12 when they recorded this? <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, you look at Michael Bublé now, I don't know, I'm 37. Surely, I did end up looking his age. He's only, like, 10 years older than us, so I guess he would have been in his mid-20s. But, like, he seems a lot younger when you see him in all those, like, bubbly commercials that he does these days. 100%. And, I mean, he had just released his first album, but it wasn't the album that made him Michael Bublé, household, right. like a household name. So B&L was kind of doing him a favor, giving him some exposure on this, on this album. And then when Michael Bublé released his Christmas album, which we'll talk about a bit later, he did not return the favor. <laughs> One of my aunt's favorite records. Oh, my mom's too. So this album is 21 tracks, but it's only 46 minutes long. That's exactly what I said to myself when I went to go re-listen to it this afternoon. This isn't just a Christmas album, hence the name. There are multiple Hanukkah songs on it, along with Old Lang Syne for New Year's, which ends the album. Stephen Page's mother is an Ashkenazi Jew, so the Hanukkah songs were later released separately as a digital EP released in November 2005, Bare Naked for Hanukkah. Don't really need to know about Stephen Page's mom. Like, not in a mean way, it's just shoehorned in. Anyway, this is just me talking now off the cuff. I enjoyed that biographical information. And there are only two songs by the Bare Naked Ladies that have been featured or available to download in the Rock Band series of video games. I just wanted to put this out. The first one, of course, is One Week, and the second is Hanukkah Blessings. What? Yep, 2008 Rock Band on the PlayStation Store. You could download Hanukkah Blessings to play on Rock Band. What a weird choice. Is, is it entirely possible that the execs at Rock Band were, ah, let's release a holiday music pack, and like BNL, they were like grasping to have some diversity in their in their holiday release, and because because like I can't think of a lot of other Hanukkah songs by big bands, and so, yeah. so if they wanted to have some diversity in their holiday download pack, I mean, where else are you gonna go? You're gonna go to Bare Naked for the Holidays because they were doing some duly needed representation in the uh, 
holiday music landscape. Adam Sandler was not returning their calls. They went to the next best person. Oh, right. I guess he will always have the most famous Hanukkah song. But he ain't giving that away for free. Let me tell you that much. Now, Ephraim, since we started this podcast, I remember like way back when we recorded Gordon, when we were talking about the format, up at that point, even two years ago, you were like, and we have to do a holiday episode. We have to do a holiday episode. So tell me why this album has such a special place in your heart and what your thoughts are. Because before I really got into the album Bare Naked for the Holidays, I did not like Christmas music. Like a lot of other people, my opinion of pop rock Christmas music was always, uh, this is crap that they put on 24-7 at the mall starting on November 15th. But I was, I didn't really understand or have any affection for that subgenre until Bare Naked for the Holidays. And since then, I have discovered a lot of pop rock original holiday music by bands I like. And I really look forward to December for the four weeks that I can listen to those Christmas mixtapes that I've made. That is a complete 180. I like that a lot. This was like your gateway into the magical world of holiday music that doesn't just suck and is played on repeat in the mall constantly. Exactly. And specifically, I discovered, and you're going to hear more about these opinions as we start going through it track by track, I discovered that the holiday songs that I like the most are the ones that are, like, new songs written by those bands. Like, I'm not a huge fan of covering classic Christmas songs. I like hearing new additions to that genre. That makes sense. I feel like that's a good segue, actually, to get into the tracks. So right off the bat, the first track in Bare Naked for the Holidays, Jingle Bells. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. So this is a hell of a start to a holiday album. You say that you like original tracks. This is a bit of a switch or a bit of a take on a staple. I ask you, too much Jokey Boys for you? Once they change modes halfway through, absolutely. (laughs) The beginning of this track, I love. I think it's great. But it's also weird where we are in the episode listing of our podcast that we're doing. It was really weird hearing Steve's voice again after so long. Right? Yes, I agree. Because we'd just gone through the other half of their career since Steve left the band. So it's like, ah, Stephen Page was on this record. Of course he was. The piano is great in this song. And yeah, the, the first half of this song where they do like the really slow kind of melancholy version of Jingle Bells because it's that traditional song is actively not really like that. I really like that juxtaposition. Eh, I don't really need the back half of it. Yeah, this is one of those weird ones that, you know, you put it on in a sophisticated Christmas Eve open house, Aunt Ida's just sipping some eggnog. It's, I imagine, just one of those spit takes and going, oh my word. And suddenly everyone has a heart attack in the middle of it. It's very, very weird. I don't understand why my family in this scenario is full of wealthy dowagers, but, you know. Because I, I think your Aunt Ida is delightful. I think live Tyler sings this now, which is kind of fun. Oh, that's cool. Does he do both parts? Does he do like that traditional part at the beginning and then into the Batman smells? That actually tracks, I feel, with his sensibilities. Yeah. I also really, really liked the Gordon-y harmonizing at the end of it. Yes, very much so. I also feel that if they were going to do a naked track... It would be this one? It would, just that frantic, frenetic energy where it just seems they're going off the rails and they're barely containing themselves. I kind of like it for that. And it did feel like it's a, hey, you know, we're the bare naked ladies and we got to do this off the track for marketing purposes. Like, oh, we're known for our off-kilter banter and things <laughs> like that. But at the same time, if there's something charming about them barely keeping it together in the studio. It really does feel like any second it could go off the rails th- completely. Th- th- there's a couple other moments on this album that sound like, eh, we've uh, we've still got another hours left in the studio that we've rented. Let's just fuck around for a while and see if anything anything comes out of it. And it's kind of it's it's extremely endearing. It feels like you know you know friends getting together for a holiday jam, and I think that's a great atmosphere to kind of have for the album. Hundred percent. Yeah. One weird quick aside question: When I was a kid, the line was, "And the Joker took ballet, not and the Joker got away." Was that your experience or were you were you a got away or took ballet kid? I was a take ballet kid. Excellent. Maybe it's maybe it's oh I was going to say maybe it's an Ontario thing but the Baric ladies are also from Ontario. I was a took ballet kid until I saw the Batman the Animated Series episode where it's Arkham Asylum at Christmas time and the Joker sings and the Joker got away and I went, well, if the Joker says it's got away, who am I to argue with the subject of the song? Track two, Green Christmas. Icicles on each trough and tinsel on the tree, but it's a green Christmas for me. 
So this is an original song, and it was written and recorded for How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Jim Carrey version, in 2000. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Canadians helping That's out cool. other Canadians. Wait, so this was this released on, like, the soundtrack of that movie before this? Correct, yes. Before the holiday record came out? That's kind of cool, because I didn't know that this track and also that Sarah McLaughlin duet later had been previously released. Yeah, it also is like when I found out it was for The Grinch Stole Christmas, because weirdly enough, I know that's become one of those holiday classics that a lot of people do watch around Christmas time. I've never seen it. I've never seen it either, and it also seems like, I don't know, like the original cartoon from like the 60s is such a classic, it seems like, I don't know, it seems kind of blasphemous to remake it. Yes. So I've never really had any interest in watching it. Well, the other but... thing is, is that weirdly enough, I haven't seen the Jim Carrey version, but I have seen the most recent Benedict Cumberpatch CGI one. I forgot that was a thing. In my defense, it was lockdown, and in my defense, I was very, very high when we watched it, so I don't remember a lot about it. I mean, that doesn't sound like the worst state to watch that film in. I also realized that as I'm listening through it, or as I listen to it each time, I always thought it was about the lack of snow, it was about all these things, which it kind of is, but at the same time, it's a green Christmas. I'm like, oh, this really is straight up about the Grinch, because he's green. And it's also green is the color of envy. Ah, true. And there's that and there's that line Christmas gift is to have this envy lift. So he's talking about being jealous of someone at the at Christmas and I was going to ask you who do you think Ed is envious of? Because I think it's kind of unclear mm. in the in the lyrics, but it sounds like maybe you also don't have any theories. I mean, the one person that's envious about this, I'd say, is me, um, in the sense that <laughs> it, this song hits harder to me every year I listen to it as I'm in Australia, because Christmas mm. was always a big time in my family, as it is for a lot of people, of course. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's the holiday for many people. And in Australia, it's so different because obviously we're right in the middle of summer here. Australian mm. Christmas is attached around going to the beach. There's beach <laughs> Santas, barbecues, things like that. And the Christmas lunch is actually much bigger than Christmas dinner here. This is so weird and different. Right? It, this is an educational like podcast. version of things. This is so neat. But because of that, it doesn't feel like the holidays around Christmas hmm. for me. And that's, I think, good because, you know, my wife and I don't have family in Australia. So right. we usually get adopted by other people or we'll just do something low key each time. And that's okay because, again, it doesn't feel like the Christmas I grew up with, with the snow, with just all of the traditional, you know, turkey dinner and, and everything mm -hmm. like that. So, but to, listening to the song, I just kind of go, man, I, I want to... I want a white Christmas again soon. Although living hmm. here for the past seven years, I'm pretty sure that I have completely forgotten about just how goddamn cold it gets. So maybe when I do get that white Christmas, I'll be like, bad idea, bad idea. It's also the, it's it's becoming more rare for white Christmases in Toronto. Like December is significantly browner than I remember it being. But Well, I guess that is the other thing is that technically Christmas is only four days into winter in North America. It's true. And it's true. I remember Michelle, when we lived in Canada, she would say, she's like, you know, if we could just stop winter at New Year's Eve, that would be great. Like, why do you need January and February? And I said, you know, strangely enough, I know this is crazy. You are not the first person to have this thought. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the song? I really, really like this. This is like, uh, this is one of the first original songs on the record. So all of the original written tracks are kind of my favorite tracks on the album. I'd say maybe this is my favorite. Maybe this is my favorite song on this oh. album. Yeah. Very early into it. I think it was a cool, fun idea to have the title be kind of a play on both the songs White Christmas and Blue Christmas. Mm. Again, I wish I knew what Ed was actually being envious of in the song. Like, again, maybe it's like other families or he's... Like, Green Christmas and Footprints are both Ed-fronted original Christmas songs that kind of have a bit of a, like, melancholy, dark undertone. And I don't hate that, because I like a little, little salt with my sweet in my holiday convection. Do you think Footprints... I completely agree with and god man I have some thoughts about that one but do you think maybe for Green Christmas it is just straight up he's talking about the Grinch because if this was written for it maybe it's not Ed being envious maybe it is the perspective of the Grinch checking out them who's uh, I don't <sighs> You don't, I don't want it like to be. That. I don't want it to be, but now that you've explained that backstory to me, I think I think it's entirely possible that you are 100% correct, and this is just a song sung from the perspective of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, and that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's okay. All right, well, track three is not an original song. I Saw Three Ships. 
I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three Originally released in 1833, so... But, like, surely the sheet music was released in 1833. <laughs> yeah, true enough. It wasn't really <laughs> dropping on the on the old radio station. I don't, so. I don't think they even had wax cylinders at that point. <laughs> That's a very good point. I should probably rephrase that. Originally released in 18... 18- <laughs> Yo, man, this is going to drop 19th century style. <laughs> This is one of my favorite traditional Christmas songs, as, as I was just talking about, like, not being a huge fan of, like, covers of traditional carols. Of the covers of traditional carols, this is one of my favorites, because it's got that very, like, Christmas carol, heavily, heavily British kind of feel to it. That has somehow become, through entirely Charles Dickens's fault, kind of like the aesthetic of North American Christmas for so long. And I love me some mandolin. And this is an extremely mandolin-heavy track. It's also, I feel, I like the original version as well, or the original version you know mm-hmm. i don't think we were around to hear that one again on the radio <laughs> in 1833 but it's always been a fun one when choirs have sung it or when it comes up on the radio this one's only about a third of the actual song here mm-hmm. and i think that that actually does it justice or i think it plays well into the flow of this album and kevin's doing some vocals on this which is good you know i, I like this one too not really much else to say except i think the flow is going well you've got that very jarring jingle bells rendition then you get into more of a melancholy original song like we were talking about for the second track which i'd like to imagine where you talk about how much you love this album hearing that first track being like oh no strap yourself in and then second okay cool it's won me back but now this third one i i think that my tolerance for the jokey boys goes up significantly when it's a holiday record because like it's implied it's a novelty (laughs) record it's a celebratory time it's a bit the concept of a holiday record is a bit silly in and of itself so i i can i can deal with it a lot more in that context i also think that that is just christmas in a nutshell my tolerance for (laughs) bullshit goes up around the holidays Ah, you know, well, my brother-in-law's coming over. You know, don't really like it. I'm not saying your brother-in-law's is general. I'm sure your brother-in-law's a lovely person. Eh, he's all right. And I was just looking up because from in the mid 2000s, when I went to a bunch of BNL holiday shows, like this was one of the songs that they kind of opened the show with. Okay. On both of those, where they could just kind of come out of the silence and start doing the mandolin and go into that song. And in both of the concerts I saw, because I have the track listing, because I have the like live recordings you could buy on USB stick from the merch table from both of those shows, live, I Saw Three Ships is always followed by Hanukkah Oh Hanukkah. Oh, right on. And it kind of goes right into that. And I think at both of those shows, that was when they still had their like rented children's choir on stage rent a choir yep so slightly different arrangement than the album version but you know well the album doesn't go into hanukkah oh hanukkah for the next track but it does go into hanukkah blessings which is track four how lucky are we that we have lights so that we can see although the day Uh, This is an original song written and performed by Paige. Weird to say, but to me, these are some of his warmest vocals. Like, of all of the albums that Stephen Page is on, Hmm. I don't know why. This is just my personal opinion, but the warmth that he has in his voice. I'm not saying it's his vocal range or, like, this is his best song, but it just really sounds warm. It just kind of, like, soothes the soul, I feel, this one. And I imagine the good people at Rock Band did, too. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, I, I just have written down that this is, like, yeah, it's just a really sweet song. Like, and not, like, it's a sweet track. Like, I mean, like, it is, like, it's just a very, like, heartfelt, very, like, very very sweet song it's like weirdly uplifting good work steve now if we were going to download this and play it on rock band would you want to be on drums would you want to be on guitar uh it was like original rock band so they hadn't set up the multi-mic functionality yet that they had for beatles rock band but right. i think i would want to be on harmonies i think i'd be on, I'd, I'd want to be on the second mic fair enough it's like, especially especially for the Baruka ties in the middle of it. I think that would be fun. You're 30 seconds in. I failed the song. Uh, I'm harmonizing. Don't they understand? Yeah, it's, again, beautiful, beautiful song. And this would have been on their Hanukkah, Bare Naked for Hanukkah or Hanukkah mm-hmm. for the Holidays, the um, EP that was released in 2005, the year afterwards, mm-hmm. where they just took yeah. the Hanukkah songs and put them on a digital release. I feel like in my head canon, as the band was going in to record a holiday record, as like being a Jewish person, Steve was like, ah, you know, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm represented on this album. I'm going to go out of my way to write the Hanukkah's pop song. Uh, And I think he succeeded. I think he actively succeeded. Yeah, I agree. I think it was, again, just a very, very warm song. And for there to be such a jokey song that is maybe one of the most famous commercial Hanukkah songs of all time, 
that is Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. It's kind of nice that the Bare Naked Ladies, known for being jokey, went the other way and went really sentimental with it. Yeah, like I, yeah, it's kind of like it feels like if um, oh shoot, what's the name of the Adam Sandler song? A Crazy Nights. Is that the name of the song, or is that that's the, the, the name film, of the film but, that was? But yeah, but the song's actually just the Hanukkah song. Oh, okay. Now, this is a theory that I just came up with right now. Because if the Hanukkah song by Adam Sandler is kind of like the jingle bells of Hanukkah songs, I feel like Steve said, all right, that's satisfying that, that genre. I'm going to write the Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas of, of Hanukkah songs. And that's I like what it. Hanukkah Blessings is. Because it's got that kind of like, again, like sweet, reflective kind of feel to it. I like that theory. I'm going to subscribe to it. I love it. And speaking of traditional Christmas or holiday songs, track five, Oh Holy Night. Now, in post, when we edit the songs in, I feel like you could just put the entire song, the entire run of this song, into that sample, because this is only 46 seconds. I'll keep it down to 20, maybe? <laughs> A nice clean 20. This is the first in what I like to call the public access synth-heavy songs that uh, Kevin Hearn is just dropping down. I was thinking of it as elevator music, but I think that you've hit the vibe more accurately saying that it's like public access TV backing tracks. It's, um, yeah, I, I like, I feel like these weird almost interludes, it's a really bold move because this is one of several in the album where you take these very famous and very sacred and probably some of the most serious Christmas songs. You've got an entire children's choir, I guess, or something, yep. and it's, you know, very sentimental and they've just reduced it to, hey guys, let's go. We'll um, be right back. Uh, not not this version, but Oh Holy Night is uh, also, like, they, they're making some good traditional carol choices here because Oh Holy Night is also one of my favorite traditional carols, but because of its, it's normally arranged in kind of like a really, you know, uh, somber, reflective, epic kind of way, and this is the opposite of that, so it's just kind of fun. I saw this coming up in the track listing, and I had forgotten that's what this version was, and I just kind of burst out <laughs> laughing because it was very unexpected. Is this a trilogy of elevator music tracks? Because there's this, Rudolph, and Wonderful Christmas time. Are there any I'm forgetting? Trying to look here at this stage. I guess kind of Carol of the yeah. Bells, but not really, because I feel like that Carol of the Bells in of itself, the way that that's composed. It's got is... a more complex arrangement than this. Exactly. And I feel like they kind of lent it to that too. I feel like they didn't want to, but it's like, uh, mm -hmm. people aren't going to know yeah. if it's just synth. So let's get some vocals in there. So yeah. yeah, no, I think that this is just the trilogy of synth. Yeah. It's a cute, fun idea. I think it helps break up the break up the record yeah. I think it adds I think it adds to the flow of the sequencing again because that's oh yeah that's another thing is because I often don't listen to this uh that's why I kind of do want the vinyl because I don't usually listen to this front to back this is more mm. like I more like have like all of my Christmas albums on like a playlist I just go shuffle on so it was kind of neat this time like hearing oh there is sequencing to this to this this is an album that's kind of cool yeah absolutely all right track six another original Elf's Lament I to grab Michael Buble if you're doing a Canadian holiday record. Yeah, let's let's talk about the Buble of it all. <laughs> it's great. It's fantastic. No further questions. <laughs> it is. Like, like we said, he was relatively unknown at this time. He released his album It's Time in 2005, and that was kind of what made him Michael Buble. When he was 12, right? When he was 12, 12 yes. He was 12 years old when he released that. 12 going on 20. <laughs> Really, the thing that we should talk about with Buble is that he would go on later in 2011 to release his own Christmas album, simply titled Christmas. That album did slightly better than this one, selling 12 million copies worldwide. It is one of the best-selling albums, one of the best-selling physical albums of the 21st century. It is massive. It is crazy how well that album's done. And very much to your point... Dude knows his audience. Yeah. Dude knows his audience. And I think it is interesting when you talk about when people release Christmas stuff in their career. He was still very much Michael Bublé, so this was almost, I guess, a calculated move too, but not really when you think about the music Michael Bublé does. Mm -hmm. But his like, like his regular studio albums, because he's kind of doing that kind of throwback crooner sort of a thing, and that's that was also big with holiday music. You know, like you have your Dean Martins and your Bing Crosbys that were kind of became like mini Mr. Christmases. So like, of course, if he's emulating that style, he's going to fall very, very easily. In 
into into doing holiday music. We talk about the charts at the beginning. This album is the number one selling Christmas album every single year since it's released in Australia. Good God. Good I cannot God. I cannot state how massive Michael Bublé is here. It's one of those things where you come to another country and you don't know what's going to carry over. Things that we would think would carry over, no one's heard of, and vice versa. Michael Bublé, obviously everyone's heard of, but Alanis Morissette, Michael Bublé, and Alexis on Fire are some of the biggest Canadian acts in Australia. Who's on fire? Alex is on fire. Alex is on fire. (laughs) Always what I thought that band name was until someone told me it. That always amazes me too, because I always think of Michael Bublé as someone that is only famous in Canada. Again, like, like similar to the Bare Naked Ladies. I always think that oh yeah people know him in the states but like in the way that people know bnl in the states but no he's like huge and stuff like it's that's weird to me i love me some talk about labor movements (laughs) and uh uh yeah i uh yeah i i love that they wrote a christmas song about unionizing yeah it's great it's great i think there's a great political message behind it especially oh no yeah because especially because christmas does become so much about commercialism and stuff i feel like this is like kind of like a fun nice like semi-political anti-commercial anti-commercialism christmas song and i really like that yeah i yeah. i do too i think it's very sweet it's it's funny because it's one of those things where like yeah let's let's think about the elves of it all and yeah they they are just like unfairly treated workers and it just kind of reminds me sadly of you know harry potter and oh, yeah. the whole like Dobby the house elf and that whole side kind of storyline where one character in those books is trying to like liberate the elves. And they're yep. like, no, they like being treated like slaves. They like doing Ooh. this. They like that. And Ooh. you're like, oh, this is interesting. And then as more and more comes out about what a monster JK Rowling is, you're like, this, this hits differently now. Yep. Very, very much so. Again, not to sound like a, uh, like Instagram infographic, but uh, the, <laughs> I, I love the line. I make toys. But I've got aspirations. I was thinking about that line today and I just thought I was like, ah, the woes of living under capitalism. I also feel like maybe that line too, and I'm probably looking way too deep into it, might also be a nod to the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation special with Herbie the Elf. I was just thinking that too. I was just thinking that too. That's cute. Yep. He just wants to be a dentist. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty good song. I do think that uh, going back to Buble, I think his voice works in this in terms mm-hmm. of the harmonizing and things like they've all, it's just, you know, three Canadian gentlemen who have voices like butter. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, maybe, now, uh, I lied. Maybe this is my favorite song on the album. <laughs> this is a good change three times. Well, there's 21 tracks, so it's just, uh, it, it makes sense. It's hard to choose. Yep. I will tell you what is not my favorite track, and that is the next one coming up, Snowman. Made of snow. I don't know how I fit in. Really? I think this is a real pretty song, and I I really, uh, this is another one of the originals on this album that I really, really like. What, what, what's, uh, what's your problem with it? What's, what's up? It may be the most depressing song about a snowman ever written. I, I like, I like a little salt with my, with my sweet and my things. You gotta, again, you like Christmas time. It's, it's the darkest time of the year. That's why we get together and, and, and sing. That is true. And sing songs. Yeah, it's a, you know, that's why you have your, your solstice festivals, because, you know, it's kind of a depressing time of the year weather-wise. I guess it, I guess in like the snowman subgenre, of which there aren't that many songs, it's uh, not... I I like it in terms of it being original, both being an original track and an original concept of a Christmas song, yes. I just think that... And I do like when like B&L gets serious or melancholy or things like that. It just... It's a weird one, and it just feels off-tone. Like Footprints, which we'll get into later on, also kind of has that vibe, but I think that that is more warm, I guess, or it toes that line, whereas this one just... I guess it just makes me sad. It really does. I think, yeah, I think this kind of lives in a trilogy with of me of like the Ed fronted original tracks on this of Green Christmas, Snowman, and Footprints. And I think they all kind of belong to the same subgenre and they work together. Yeah, fair. It's funny that Steve's the one who didn't want to do a holiday album and Ed's like, no, it'll be great. Now he's making all these songs about how depressed he is at Christmas time. <laughs> and Steve's the one doing the most goofy shit on, on Jingle Bells and stuff. Like... Oh man. And and Tyler, Jim, and Kevin are like, well, let's just see how this plays out. <laughs> All right, well, what do you... So you like a bit of salt with your suite, like you said. Specifically, <laughs> what do you like about this track? Or... Again, yeah, I, I, I think... Uh, I hope I'm not repeating myself. Yeah, because like my some of my favorite Christmas like movies and Christmas material are kind of like the more like ghost story related mm. or like sad or melancholy kind of Christmas stuff that like, oh, the idea is that you become uplifted by the end of it. It's the darkest time of the year kind 
kind of having that kind of like spooky or melancholy or bittersweet kind of feeling to it. I do like the idea that it is just about a real snowman because for a second listening to it today, I was like, is the snowman a metaphor for just a lonely guy? But like, no, I think it's a real snowman. <laughs> I also take back immediately what I said. Do you want to build a snowman in the snowman subgenre from Frozen is the saddest song about snowman ever written. <laughs> just need to correct myself there on air. <laughs> I think I only, I think I finally saw that movie for the first time like a year and a half ago. Well, two years ago for Christmas time, we visited Michelle's best friend who lives in Queensland and she's got two adorable little girls. One was nine months, one's two and a half. And the two and a half year old took a real shining to me. And we watched Frozen, half an hour of Frozen, the same half hour, I think 12 times in the five days that we were there. And that is a very good future glimpse into what it, fatherhood is going to be like for me in a few months when I have my daughter. I was I was just about to ask whether or not we can mention that development in your life on air because I was going to say, well, get ready to watch the same cartoon over and over again for the, at least the next six years. You know, we definitely can because anyone who is listening to this and is a regular listener know that sometimes it's a year between episodes and a lot happens in a year. You know, next time we release a, an episode, I could have three more kids. As a friend of mine just recently had her second kid and she's a very funny mom tweeter on on twitter and she had a she had a great observation a couple days ago she was saying how she was showing her eldest daughter like some classic christmas movie it doesn't matter what it was but about 10 minutes in apparently her kid just solemnly said hmm this isn't in canto <laughs> she has a lot of tweets that are recurring just i'm so sick of watching in canto trek eight do they know it's christmas great cover, but this song has not necessarily aged well. <laughs> like many things from 1984. <laughs> exactly. This is a cover of Band-Aids, uh, so Bob Geldof. He had such good intentions, Bob Geldof. Such good intentions. Such that, good intentions. That, that man seems like a really selfless person who can be slightly tone deaf at times, but you know what? Like, God bless him. This was re-recorded by Band-Aid in 89 and 2004, actually, so the same year this album came out. Was it the same lineup for Band-Aid, or was it like more modern Most of them. music? Oh, cool. Nice. Most of them, and they had a couple of, of new people. This version rocks. I, yeah. I love this version, and I don't think it's controversial, because I don't know a lot of people who are like, oh, Band-Aid for life. Uh, <laughs> that would be a very weird specific hill to die on. But I think that this is superior to the original. I agree completely because the Band-Aid version is my third favorite cover of this song. Uh, this is my second favorite cover of this song. My my first favorite version of Do They Know at Christmas Time was recorded by Fucked Up, the <laughs> the Canadian band. Damien um, Abraham. Absolutely, yeah. It was it was uh, it was a single they released in support of a bunch of uh, women's charities in Ontario in I think 2011 or 2010. It's Fucked Up with Metric a bunch of the people from Bo Broken Social Scene, and weirdly enough, the Jizza, oh. who just introduces the song, he just off the top of the song just says, hey, it's the Jizza, do they know it's Christmas time? And he's not in the rest of the track. And also, weirdly, features David Cross in the role of Bono, which Jim Cregan plays in the Bare Naked Ver Ladies version of this song. Yeah, really weird song, really great though. I need to go listen, I need to go hunt down this track. That's it's amazing. It's fantastic, it's fantastic, it's great. I also love In the Spirit of, you know, the original uh, was done for charity and a cause that's really important, you know. Just every time any version of this song plays around me and Megan, whenever they, whenever the singers ask, do they know it's Christmas time at all? She just goes, why would they? Not everyone celebrates Christmas. Rude. <laughs> don't don't, so, imp don't force your beliefs on me. And again, uh, geez. Uh, also, side note, because do they know it's Christmas? Spawn also spawned the American version of this song, "We Are the World," in the in the late '80s. I really like the Canadian version of that telethon song, "Tears Are Not Enough," the best of that trilogy. Yes, I do agree. I do I think it's prefer the best Tears of those three songs. I also think that the harmonies in this version between Ed, mm -hmm. Stephen, and Tyler are amazing, and you don't hear those three harmonize that often. So I feel like this is kind of a rare treat in this one. It's really nice. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even, uh, I didn't notice there was a third person and that it was Tyler. Yeah. And cool. it's one of those, never going to hear that again, unfortunately. So yeah. uh, it, it's cool. It's just a very 
revision. And yeah. also, maybe just because of the implications, because this was, again, best intentions recorded for this song, it's not a jokey version of it. They're like, oh, we should yeah. probably do something real with <laughs> just, it. but Just play it straight. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty great. Exactly. And I, I said this already, but I just got to say it again. I really do love Jim Krieg and in the role of Bono in this song. <laughs> it fits very well. It really does. Track nine, Hanukkah, Oh Hanukkah. Oh Hanukkah, oh Hanukkah, so sheet music, or maybe lyrics, uh, were first seen in 1912, not originally released, as we said before, on the old uh, radio, by Mark Rivesman. It's an English version of the Yiddish Oi Hanukkah, uh, which is a traditional children's Hanukkah song. Once again, a very warm rendition by Page. Yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, good work on Page, doing some uh, cool versions of rare Hanukkah holiday songs on this album. I don't have a lot to say about this track. I think it's fun. And every time they've done it in live holiday shows, it's gotten a great reaction from the audience. It's a real crowd pleaser, but I mean, that makes sense because it's a traditional song you're supposed to sing with a bunch of kids. It's kind of easy to do some uh, callbacks on. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I really don't have much to say about it either. I um, think it's good. Holiday anecdote. My family, again, I am not Jewish, my family's traditional Boxing Day dinner meal as uh, latkes and ham. Oh, amazing. Yeah, which is not particularly Jewish because, you know, pork but weirdly enough both latkes and uh and ham go great with applesauce that is a that is a good enough reason to pair those things two together i also do like you saying not a particularly jewish dish i'm saying well some could say it's pretty much the antithesis of a jewish dish <laughs> that's why i find it particularly funny that it's our <laughs> traditional boxing day dinner meal track 10 god rest ye merry gentlemen slash we three kings holiday mashup and that's my first note good mashup <laughs> Absolutely, with super guest star Sarah McLaughlin. Even in 1996, which is when this was originally recorded, Sarah McLaughlin was still a superstar. I feel like Sarah McLaughlin has never not been a superstar. Like, it just seems like she's one of those people who it's like, oh, her first album was like, oh yeah, now you can go fill stadiums. I don't know why. It's just, I don't remember a time that Sarah McLaughlin was not Sarah McLaughlin. I've only seen like, have I only seen two shows at the ACC ever? Because now I'm trying to remember if I've seen any more, but one of the few stadium shows I've seen of the arena shows I've ever seen, I've seen Bruce Springsteen, U2, and Sarah McLaughlin. Damn, that's, that is a valid trilogy of performers yes. to see in a stadium setting. I It's because in 2005, my girlfriend at the time was a huge Sarah McLaughlin fan and she wanted to go to the concert and I was not looking forward to it. And then I had an amazing time. She puts on a really great show. She does. And it's like her voice lends itself, strangely enough, her voice lends itself to a lot of techno and like house remix tracks. Like a it's lot of strange. her songs have been remixed in like the 90s and like the 2000s that are still like club bangers, but she can also do you know 80 cents a day cup of coffee arms of an angel stuff which i feel like we use that as a gag in a bunch of rocket scientists sketch like fake infomercial sketches like, you know where the sketch is going if you just start play, softly playing into the arms of an angel in the background yes oh uh, i do remember that because we did do that adopt a griffin sketch yep. and it went off the rails of the john candy theater and we all just broke character <laughs> as all well, the arms of an angel's playing and it's still one of my fondest memories uh. Good work. Because we didn't usually break character, but that time it just was completely, well, that was, I think I left the stage. I think that was a great show, too, because that was our, I think that was our first and only best of show. It was, yes. And so I think we were all just riding high on people liking us at the mm -hmm. time, so. They like us. I like Sarah McLaughlin. She's got a commanding voice. Um, I mean, geez, even when she starts singing, the track stops and goes into something different. Mm -hmm. It's like they're playing God Rest You, Merry Gentlemen. And she's like, no, stop the track. I'm going to sing We Three Kings instead. And they go with it. And again, as someone who doesn't, who isn't huge into like traditional carol covers, BNL is making really good choices of the ones that they choose to cover on this album because God Rest Ye and We Three Kings, again, are both like really cool and again have that kind of like super duper British kind of like a Christmas carol kind of feeling to them. And I really like this arrangement. Yeah, great harmonies as well that they can take advantage of with both themselves and Sarah McLaughlin. I agree. I think they're doing very much like you. Like they are doing these very old British, like kind of classical mm -hmm. old school carols. And I grew up with those partly because I went to um, a Catholic school. Yeah. 
in like elementary so it was just like choir was kind of naturally like oh we're kind of singing not gospel hymns but just things that you would sing in a church traditionally around holiday time and then moving into when i went to a school for the arts for high school i was in the drama program but we still did a lot of singing and we do things like this that did lend itself to four-part harmonies or like separating them so mm -hmm. yeah a lot of the choices that they have made they were songs that i grew up with as well so did not do it as well as sarah mclaughlin did i'll tell you that much <laughs> I cannot state enough how amazing her voice is, and she seems like a pretty chill person. Yeah. <laughs> like 1996 Bare Naked Ladies, too. Like, that would have been, I think that would have been, like, rock spectacle time. So they oh, were yeah. kind of big, mm -hmm. but, like, not stunt big yet. Like, this would have been born on a pirate ship era, I guess. Mm -hmm. Which was pretty successful, but still, it's interesting to see that they were very much at the start of their career. Mm -hmm. And Sarah McLaughlin, again, was probably still just a massive superstar. Yeah. And it's also, I, I also, it's weird, I kind of forgot about this song, too, because on a bunch of the Christmas mixtapes that I have, all the BNL tracks from this I've put on them are all the original songs. I didn't really put any of the covers, because, again, I that's the way I am, and I forgot how good this track is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Speaking of good tracks, question mark, track 11, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> This was originally released in 1949 by Johnny Marks. Johnny Marks in 1949, whose brother-in-law is the one who came up with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a commercial mascot that a greeting card company made. And he's like, I'm going to do a song about it. Uh, also, fun fact, grandfather of Richard Marks. Really? No, I just made that up. Oh, well, <laughs> shows how gullible I am. <laughs> a Christmas prank. <laughs> so festive and so cruel <laughs> i think this track helps break up the break up the album and kevin's having some fun doing his weird public access bullshit nah, i think it's yeah it's fun like it's filler in a good way and there have been weirder versions of it like yeah. this song has been covered incessantly like the temptations have covered this the cadillacs have covered this alvin and the chipmunks have covered this <laughs> rudolph he does his uh thing we could probably get into track 12 right yeah. which is carol of the bells So this kind of is like, I feel they did a jokey synth number and then they go into a somber synth number. Except it's not that synthy. And I think that there's there's a lot of great backing like vocals, like the hum, 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 that the whole band is doing. And this, I don't know, I wrote down that I think this is, this is kind of a reminder that the guys are not, I they, think they're, they're all great musicians and it's not always just about the lyrics with them. Like they're really good at arranging tracks as well because there's no lyrics in this song. There's a lot going on here. It's true. It's, you do have that synth at the beginning, like I said, but then it builds into it like so many layers. So it is, I think it's a smart choice to do it right after one of like the public access elevator songs yeah. because you think it might go like that, but then it doesn't. And it just, yeah, keeps on building. And it's also only, it's less than two minutes. I think it clocks mm -hmm. in at like a minute and 40. So, and I think that's the perfect length for this kind of version. Absolutely. There's so um, many tracks in this album we have to get through. <laughs> One thing before we move away from Carol the Bells, actually, I will just put, if you are in our age demographic, you probably remember the song from the kick-ass version John Williams did for Home Alone. That's all I've got. I just really like that version and wanted to give a shout out to John Williams because he's got so little and he really needs our platform to get over. Actually, now that, that that's a good point because I feel like Home Alone was the first time I kind of heard Carol of the Bells and I wonder how often it was in like rotation of people playing it at Christmas concerts before that movie came out. Yeah, it's uh, very, very good. Done in the montage where an eight-year-old is so going good. to straight up try to murder two, two grown men. <laughs> so good. Track 13, Footprints. I followed footprints in the snow never knowing if i was right behind you so we kind of talked about uh, this one or we touched on this earlier when we talked about snowman another original song by ed what are your thoughts on this one or what do you think the meaning behind it is it's more dark and depressing than i thought it was before analyzing it this afternoon i think the story of the song is like a, a couple that's like up at a cabin or something for christmas and they've had a fight and the the singer like ed is like trailing behind the their partner or they've had a fight with their partner goes into the cabin locks the door on them and they're kind of like thinking about what they said in the snow but eventually she lets him back in and they make up i think that's the storyline i think that's the storyline of the song and again it's one of my favorite bare naked ladies christmas tracks on this album i did not 
follow that was the, that as the story until like this afternoon. So thanks for doing this podcast with me, Chris. No worries. I I am pretty much in the exact same boat you are. That is exactly how I interpreted it too. Nice. Another festive prank, classic festive <laughs> prank. Just lock someone out so they can freeze to death outside. I don't think it was implied they were gonna freeze to death. Like they could have if they were super stubborn. It's like you can't come in here until it's time to make up. But yeah, but I think I was imagining it as being more of a one week style fight. You know, like it's not. It's been one week since I froze to death. <laughs> I also really like the very Gordony piano in the bridge of this song. There's that. Yes. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. It's. Do they? Because you've seen a couple of their holiday shows. Do they play Snowmen or Footprints in the lineup, or have you heard them live? I think that they do. I don't have the lineup of the recent ones I've been to. Okay, so they didn't play it then. And they... No, they did not. No, they did not play... uh, They did not play Footprints. They did do Snowman, though, in 2004 when I went to go see them. So... Yeah. That makes me kind of sad because, again, like those are some original ones mm-hmm. and very creative, very creative, unique holiday songs that, you know, a lot of bands wouldn't do or like kind of touch on that for this. So, no, I like it. It's interesting, too, because I feel like um, Footprints could have been on any BNL album. Mm. Like it could have just been inserted into maybe even like a post page album and people wouldn't really bat an eye. Yeah. It would just be like, oh, OK, it's kind of the same sensibilities as that melancholy that they can be known for and people just be like, huh. And I think that's why I like the original Christmas songs, not just by BNL, but by like other bands as well. That's why I like the more original songs that could work on their own or have something outside of just being holiday tracks. And I think this definitely falls into that category. Cool. Yeah. Well, if you like original holiday songs, oh, Jesus. what do you think of track 14? Deck the Stills. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. I have one note, and it's just Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, I think it's pretty funny. It's a good, it's a good gag. I don't know. So for those of you who have not heard this song or heard this album, which I would find difficult to believe because if you're listening to this podcast it means you're a Bare Naked Ladies fan. It is a rendition of Deck the Halls except every single lyric is Crosby Stills, Nash and Young. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. I don't know. It doesn't outstay its welcome at least. It's only 52 seconds but. As I said yeah I think it's I think it's a nice palate cleanser after the the uh, melancholy of footprints and I just want to know what the story behind this song is. Like who came up with this? Were, again were they just fucking around in the studio during the during the recording of the album and then said oh this is a this is a stupid good joke let's put it on the record. It's probably definitely a sprinkle of that. It might just be Steve Page. It's one of those convincing things where it's like I want to do a holiday album. Crosby Stills, Nash and Young. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have a feeling it was Tyler started it. I don't know why. Yeah, he really does seem just the... He seems to be the glue to hold everyone together. When yeah. things get too serious, he's like, guys, let's just sing a whole lot of love. Uh, let's just... Uh... And, and oh, oh and so again, not because of this, but because of, but about Tyler Stewart and holiday music, because I have not listened to, to Bear Decker for the holidays front to back in a long time. I had forgotten that Tyler Stewart's rendition of Feliz Navidad is not on this album. It's just something they do live. Oh, man. So there you yep. go. Just, but, you want to hear that? Diddy, it's going to cost you guys. Every single concert, every single concert right at the end does a mashup of that and Iron Man. It's very weird. Get thyself to Massey Hall to hear (laughs) Ozzy Osbourne meets Latin American music? I think so. All right, track 15 then. Christmas time. Oh, yeah. I think I see the children down the street. Here they come caroling. Now I can hear them. They sing, oh, yeah. What a quintessential Kevin Hearn track. It really is. It's just him again singing about everything he sees. They sing, oh, yeah? It's really weird. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's just, ah, look over there. I think I see some carolers. Here they come. They're singing. It's just him. But they're only singing. Uh, but I get the impression that they're only singing. They're only. They're not singing songs. They're just singing. Oh yeah, over and over again. It's weird. It sounded almost like it was like an alien describing Christmas. It's very funny because it just like you touched on earlier about how kind of going back to this album because we are jumping forward like you know Detour de Force. We just did that episode and that was from 2021. So this is you know 17 years from that. You go back and this is kind of like 
when Kevin started writing stuff. Yeah. And he really hasn't evolved that much as a songwriter. I say that in the sweetest way possible, but like this just has all the makings of that. It is a very literal song, but I will say it really, really evokes the imagery of Christmas to me. That is correct. Like you are correct. It paints, I agree. It paints a huge picture, and this is one of those songs I listen to, and it does make me miss Christmas yeah. in Canada. So yeah, it, I, I I do like it for that. And I know that, oh, it's the magic of the special prize inside, but uh, poor Jimmy just got some, just got some cereal. <laughs> his sister got some skates. I assume his uncle or dad got a bowling ball. I remember look, doing doing research for this album. I remember like looking at Christmas time and there was just a forum that someone linked this song to. And there were a couple of people saying, oh yeah, no, I remember when I got like a gift wrapped Kellogg's box. And I went, what? is this, are, are you a long lost Hearn? Or is this something that we just didn't know about? Yeah, it was because then, then the next li- the next lyric is, what a happy moment. Like, is it? You can never tell with Kevin Hearn. His Very voice uh, kind of does not betray what he's feeling. <sighs> Still not as good as Magician. Magician, I think, is still my favorite song by him. 100%. Track 16, Sleigh Ride. This is the track that the most to me felt like, let's just fuck around in the studio and see what happens. 100%. Oh, absolutely. It was recorded by Mariah Carey in 2020 again, like re-recorded, which to me, I'm like, hasn't she made enough money off of Christmas? Are there lyrics to this song? Like, does Mariah Carey's version have lyrics or is it? No, it does. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, because it was originally just like an orchestral standard, I guess, which was from 1946. And it wasn't until I think 10 years later, actually, no, not 10, four years later in 1950, that uh, Mitchell Parrish was named, put lyrics to it. Oh, interesting. So so for four years there, between like 46 and 50, it was just instrumental. Mm -hmm. So I really do like this, this version. It's pretty funny. It's them kind of like being not obnoxious, but the way that they're like, da, da, it sounds like they're trying to be as drunk and rambunctious as possible. It sounds like very close to going off the rails and I like it. It's pretty great. Yes. Yeah. This has got some jingle bells energy yeah. at the beginning. Yes. I do like also that every single person in the liner notes is contributing to this one, except for Kevin. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it's Jim, it's Ed, it's Steve, and it's Tyler. Kevin isn't there. Either he slept in that day, or it's like, nah, nah, guys, I'm just going to write my song about Kellogg's he's boxes. sitting in the booth, uh, and they're, like, beckoning him to join the band. He's just sitting there shaking his head, being like, I don't want to get too silly. <laughs> <laughs> guys, remember why we're here? It's the holidays. Uh, like, like an alien observing... <laughs> Christmas. Oh, Kevin, I'm so sorry. If there's any takeaway from this, it's that Kevin Hearn is, this is his way of understanding Christmas. Steve's like, I don't want to do this album. And it's like, this is the only way that he can get this info back to his home planet. <laughs> Track 17, probably one of my favorites on the album, Christmas Picks. I agree completely. Hold still, wait for the click. You're in this year's Christmas Picks. I love this song. Yeah. OG Jim Cregan number. Yep. Oh, it's it's so, so good. It's, I was going to say cynical, but that's not the right word. It's just, it's a very true song about Christmas time. Yeah, it's again, it's again that little bit of salty with your sweet. It's like, because like so many people's experiences with the holidays is having a little bit of conflict with their extended family and ideally moving past it and enjoying yourself. And I feel like that's kind of like the tone that, and the message of this song is that like it's yeah it's it's got one of my favorite lines of all of Jim's songs not just on the album but brother we don't agree about the government or where to put the tree Mm -hmm. I love it so much exactly like you said it's like well let's just get this picture for mom I guess and then you can go back to your weird anti-vax bullshit I feel like the message behind that line is also like but we're still brothers yeah 100% Um, yeah there's always going to be a bit of sibling rivalry and, and I don't know and just the image of just a crying child at the end is just so true to gatherings with small children like no matter how nice and happy and calm it is like some toddler's gonna burst into tears for no reason do you also think that maybe andy cregan from heaven was listening to this song and was like what you don't agree with me on on the government just he he didn't know that there were conflicts he thought that like they were just having like a really lovely christmas and then andy's listening to the song like wait what (laughs) we were 
I, th- I thought we had discussed about our, our policy disagreements between the liberals and the NDP. I also thought that, you know, the den seemed to be the logical place to put the Christmas tree. I'd say that for the longest time, because it's where it fit in my apartment, I put the Christmas tree in the kitchen. That was a dumb idea. Yeah, weird. well, yeah. I mean, that's usually the first room that you kind of go into in the morning, aside from like made the washroom. It's so true, it's like you're walking to get breakfast. I mean, that's nice. It's true, but like just the kitchen table never fit. Eh, I don't know. It's in the living room. Yeah, now. you're right. I was trying to, I was trying to justify place. your poor decision. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Track 18, I have a little dreidel. Well, I have a little dreidel. I made it out of clay. This, this seems like this could have, like, Sleigh Ride could have just gone straight into this. It's, like, very just, like, very loose and off the off the cuff. Yeah. It's also 53 seconds, which, again, that Hanukkah EP was must have only been, like, seven minutes. Because it's like, we're going to take all the Hanukkah songs. There's only three of them, and one of them is only, like, less than a minute. They were they were maybe planning on having a uh, cover of the Hanukkah song, but Sandler never got back to them in time. Yeah, it, it's good. You know, it was originally from 1927. That's a class, another classic children's Hanukkah song. It's... It's a good one. Like yeah. I feel like this song's actually quite famous. I don't remember where I heard it originally. I just but heard it I feel with like, like just Jewish friends singing it. Yeah. Like, again, it's a it's a it's a standard. It's a traditional song. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those like oh everyone kind of knows it. Don't know like what the origins are. Mm-hmm. But I think Stephen does a good job with this. Yeah, one. absolutely. And again, it's like and I, and I like that kind of like loose, wacky kind of party feel that it has. Yeah. yeah. Track nineteen. Wonderful Christmas time. Closing out the trilogy. Closing out the trilogy. This is, um, yeah, originally released in 1979 by Sir Paul McCartney. And can we agree that uh, Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney is the worst pop Christmas song ever released? I agree. Yep. I agree completely. I don't like that song. A lot of music critics agree too. I feel like it gets a pass because when you're a legend, you get away with a lot of shit. But it has, I put this in the notes, it has made him estimated 400,000 US dollars every year from the royalties for the song. And that means that since its release in 1979, he has made over $15 million on this song alone. What? Yeah, man. It's Christmas money. Christmas money is absolutely insane. That's that's why Mariah Carey has just become the queen of Christmas now. Because, I mean, if she looks at, you know, the breakdown of where all of her income comes from, surely, surely that one song must be responsible for a lot of it. So, like... I think that's what a lot of people calculated. Like, it's, it's a very calculated move to put out a Christmas album later on in your career. Yeah. Like, I think it is that. I think it, people are hoping for an All I Want for Christmas yeah. or a Wonderful Christmas Time yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah, this song is just, I don't understand. Well, I do because it's Mac- uh, Paul McCartney, but I just, why is it so popular? Why is it still? <laughs> because it's, why? it's Paul McCartney, man. Because it's, because everything the Beatles touch turns to gold. The one thing that really threw me about this one is that they've got such reverence for the Beatles, the Bare Naked Ladies. They really kind of talk about mm-hmm. how much they love them and they're inspired by them. I was really surprised coming going back to this one because, again, like you said, like I listen to this album on the regular for the holidays, but you forget which ones are like yeah. the Cynthia like jokey yeah. ones. I was shocked when it was this one. I went, oh, you'd think that they'd actually be like, oh, we get to cover kind of a Beatles song, but not I, really. Like we get to do something, but they did not because I think that they just don't like I, it. Either. I want to see. I, I want to hear Kevin singing this song. I want to hear Kevin doing this arrangement as is, but with vocals by him. I think that would be hysterical. Yes, very much so. This had a cover version by Kylie Minogue, which was released in 2016. All right. Who is, like, again, massive royalty over here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Australia's own Kylie Minogue. She's very, very big. Um, yeah, it's okay. I like this version more. Yeah. You have the Happy Birthday joke track listed as a separate track. It's hidden in Wonderful Christmas Time in my version. That is right. It, it's the same as well, too. Oh, okay. For some reason, they just seem to put it in that. But Happy Birthday, Dear Jesus, which I don't I, know if that was a joke from Full Metal Jacket, I but... Totally Totally forgot that that bit was on this album, and I was again. I was in conniptions. I was laughing hysterically when it came up. Yeah, it's it, it, it's accurate. It's nice to I guess pay homage to the OG. Yeah. To our final track of the album, "Old Lang Syne." which is a Scottish poem by Robert Burns from 1788. I did not know that. Yeah, my dad is from Scotland. I was about so to say, your dad year... probably knew that. 
dad. <laughs> my, my dad definitely did. Every year in January, it's uh, Robbie Burns Day, which is a big holiday for Scots. So Classic. it's always a big day in our house. He's actually the only poet, weirdly enough, whose work is celebrated globally. Like a lot of other poets, people haven't heard as much or celebrated as much, but obviously Old Lang Syne being what it is makes sense and this is a really weird take but this is by far my favorite track on the entire album and i can't tell you why but i love it so much and it's probably the one i've listened to the most i dig that i think that's cool yeah Yeah. it's just it's beautiful it's really really nice and it's it's a cool i mean it makes complete sense to actually close the album out with this song too no it's it's a real i I, it's a real good use of steve's pipes yes Yes. his vocals are very much on point in this song i just always find it weird because i never quite get how it's a christmas song because it's like it's a new year's song right so I guess it's holiday yes. songs. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. They released the New Year's Eve EP mm-hmm. later on. It was sh- even shorter than the Hanukkah. Yeah. And I feel like this is a kind of nice bookend with Jingle Bells, arrangement-wise, because it starts yeah, off true, slow actually. and then grows in uh, epicness and speed. Absolutely. Yeah. And it just is kind of like a, it's you know, this poem slash song closes out a year. This song closes out an album. That's true, actually. Thematically, yeah. it works very well. I dig it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's good. And and that is Bare Naked for the Holidays. Uh, again, I think one of the greatest Christmas albums of all time. I would tend to agree with you in a big way. I remember we bought this. I bought this for my mom, actually, in 2004, because she's a massive Bare Naked Ladies fan. This was her Christmas gift that year. And it still is played on repeat in their house. I've obviously got the Spotify version. You've got the Bare Naked on a Stick version. The USB that they uh, that they sold at their concerts for a while. Being like, I wonder if digital media will ever be the way that people ingest music. These guys were ahead of the curve. Head of the curve completely. It's a very good, and also like, just talk about the title. It's a very clever title too, Bare Naked for the yeah. Holidays. Better than fake nudes. Yeah. Ugh. Terrible title. And like I said, I think that it has a special place in a lot of BNL fans' hearts, not just because, oh, it's a band that we like releasing a holiday album, but because it's a very excellent and very unique holiday album. Mm-hmm. The way that they do certain songs, the selections that they've chosen, like you said, the original tracks, and yeah, the fact that like this is doing very well right now from what I can see in Canada on vinyl, the limited release, it looks really nice. And if I can find a way to import a version of that or a copy of that to Australia, I'm going to get on that while I still have disposable income. I really need, I really need to pick up that vinyl. I really need to pick up that vinyl. It's going to be really, really good. I need to do it before March because diapers are expensive oh, and uh, won't have any more money for vinyls, Im- for imported vinyls. But think of all of the, but just think of all the, the love and affection you'll receive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not vinyl, though. Your child's love. It's not records. We say as the hosts of a music podcast. It'll almost be as warm as the sweet, sweet high fidelity you get from a vinyl. (laughs) And that really is the greatest holiday gift Mm -hmm. of all. And speaking of uh, holidays, we've, we're recording this in December. You know, we're hoping to get this released before Christmas. Which, oh, we uh, will. I'm sure I guarantee we will. Come, I, I, will, we I will, by hell or high water, I will have this released by Christmas Eve at the very latest. So I guess in that case, you know, if you guys, uh, to those of you who are listening, happy holidays. We hope that you have an amazing uh, end to 2022, however you celebrate or whoever you're celebrating with. And thank you for celebrating with us to an extent here. And thank you, Ephraim, for celebrating with me. It's been a while since we've chatted yeah. and this was a really nice holiday gift as well absolutely i uh, hope that we do this again soon and i hope that we see all of you guys again soon please take lots of photos of the snow if it happens i'll take photos of the beach i guess <laughs> but again that's traditional in australia we've been over this exactly so you know again however you celebrate holidays uh but but until then i have been chris small you can follow me on twitter at csmall201 you can also follow the official twitter handle which is cmdbnl go check it out we retweet a lot of stuff by famous musicians we have some original thoughts there sometimes too you can also follow me on instagram at csmalltraveler ephraim where can people find you you guys can find me on instagram at ephraim ellis and you can also still find me on twitter at ephraim ellis despite all of the lunacy that Elon Musk is putting on that platform currently. And that's all the places you can find me on social media. Still haven't got TikTok. That's a very good point. We should actually just say, you know, by the time this is released, Twitter might be dead. So if not, just ignore everything we said and we'll see you on Vibe. And rest in peace. Our podcast album art uh, is by Jerusha Ellis and our opening theme music is by Jonathan Lincoln. And until next time, I'm Ephraim Ellis. I'm Chris Small. And, and we, we have been clothed the whole time. time. Merry Feliz Christmas, Navidad. Everyone. <laughs>